Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's topic of the week. Uh, my name is Alec, and in front of me, I have Joshua. Um, today, we're going to be discussing how the United States can strengthen its relationship with Africa. I feel like this is, uh, well, we both felt like this has not been talked about much in the news, and we believe that the United States um, should do more in playing an active role in helping Africa because Africa is such a gold mine of what can be, but we're not helping them unlock the what they can be um as i said that before is that they are and can play a much more bigger and important role on the global stage they are abundant in resources but they still need major support to help unlock their economic abilities yeah africa is the the treasure chest i um i believe of the world before it was eastern asia and then they figured out their manufacturing stuff but now you have a country with a population of 1.3 billion people um, in 25 years, or 27 technically, um, it is set to double to two, almost double, to two and a half billion, um, 54 states, so many natural resources, and um, outside of China and Russia, the U.S. and Europe are, I'm not going to say ignoring Africa, but they're not putting enough energy and resources into it. Yeah. They're not actively ignoring it, and we'll see as we go on with our discussion that the United States is actually doing their has some sort of strategy, very too, loose strategy, very loose strategy to uh, um, to advance Africa. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about the strategy and what they what what they're doing that we like, and what they could be what could they else what else they could be doing. So, Absolutely. to get straight into it, in 2022, the Biden administration released a U.S. strategy towards sub-Saharan Africa document. So, this document kind of highlights the the goals that the United States wants to do in Africa. Um, so, they want to elevate, in general, the U.S. African U.S. African the partnerships between all African countries. They want to engage more actively with the African states. They want to uh, bolster civil society and also just work with them um regionally um as much as they can whether it be with the african union and other regional uh communities and you can find this document online it's a very fantastic document it's a few pages we're going to sum it up for you here so you don't have to read it all and then we'll go into depth of this so um i want to go straight into the beginning of the document and discussing what their what the goal of this paper was and it is to state that Africa is critical to the global stage. They are a main, they should be a priority because they have such an ability for trade and they have a diverse ecosystem and they are the fastest growing population. So this is kind of like the, the main like points of the United States and that this region is important to tackle the climate crisis, um, help them develop democratic ideals, address global food, food insecurity, and strengthen internet and strengthen the international system, because if we help Africa and put them on the global stage, they would be crucial for developing, um, econo- developing the international stage economically. Absolutely. And so the this this document can be found on WhiteHouse.gov. But what they came up with were four main, fairly broad points. Points are one: foster openness in open societies. 
Point two, deliver democratic and security dividends. Three, advance pandemic recovery and economic opportunity. Four, support conservation, climate adaptation, and adjust energy transition. We're going to dive deep, deep right into these. Uh, first one we're going to discuss is the fostering openness and open societies. There are three main bullet points that they put under. We're promoting government transparency and accountability, increasing our focus on rule of law, justice, and dignity, and assisting African countries be more transparently leveraged their natural resources for sustainable development. So, open societies and democratic ideals. This is... I like this because there needs to be ways in Africa to kind of expose their corruption. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of corruption and a lot of political unwillingness to go forward, essentially, because most African leaders are just so. How do I say this? They just want to have the power. Yeah, they just so want many money, too. and they they don't really care about anything else. And that's why conflict happens. That's what we're seeing in Sudan right now. Yes, a few people that both want power, they they don't really care too much besides the the Sudanese military that want an actual democratic backing but really if you look deep down he just wants to control and the power because they had from they had three four years to develop something so much and time. they had so much time to create a democratic government and reduce a military rule mm-hmm. but there's just there's just no willingness to do it because it's all centered around having power so actively exposing corruption and saying look what they're doing this needs to be done. I don't know wh- how they're going to do it. It's just like, I don't want them to like target them and be like, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. yeah. I think the goal of this should be look at what you're doing. Here's what can be done. Not like, oh, the- these guys are, they're, they're corrupt here and don't do anything about it. So I don't, they, the it says here the United States is going to assist these African countries to improve fiscal transparency, expose corruption, and support reforms. But, I mean, of course, this is like an outline of their strategy. Yeah. So, I hope that it's like actually supporting them and not just calling them out and be like on the sidelines like, you know what? Hey, um, we're going to be here to quote-unquote support you. Yeah. But, good luck. Through, through research, I could not find specific policies, which is concerning because okay. this came out 2022. So that, that's a concerning start. And, and to go back on your point about the money and everything and power, big part of it, but the other big part is culture in Africa. There are so many different ethnicities. And the one problem with colonialism and the colonization is that we drew lines. We did. And a lot of the times, in, in a lot of cases, those lines were either smack dab in the middle of some cultural um places or um we created separations based on race and i'm saying we as in europe and the i'm gonna say mostly europe but partially the united states as well creating these lines was a bad in anyone in, in many retrospects because yep. you look at rwanda you look at the congo you look at sudan you look at south africa you look at egypt so many different ethnicities they should have been the ones to draw the lines themselves. We there'd be a lot more countries, albeit, but not a problem. It's their right, self governments. Now, one of the questions you're going to be asking yourself in this fostering openness and open societies, and then before we get to the second one, I'm just going to discover delivering democrat and security, democratic and security dividends. You're going to, the one thing everyone's going to ask is, well, look at what happened in Eastern Asia in the 70s and 80s. What happened? You know, not good things. What happened in the Middle East? 
not good things. I think the biggest issue with fostering openness in open societies and what we did was I think we got a little too hands-on and started to actively have our diplomats running elections or, or, or creating movements and all these things to create, you know, in democracy versus, uh, I'll say communism, because that's the only word I could think of, or authoritarianism. Um, that's not a good thing. And so I, I think you, you made a good point of having a little bit of more of a hands-off approach, something specific. Part of government transparency and accountability is great, but how are they going to do that and create this transparency with the people when everyone is poor? That's a big issue. And so one way for promoting transparency is through economic incentives. Um, on also helping peace building. How can we build these these rule of laws and justice systems? We can give them the tools to do it, but let them do it. Let first off give uh, economic and oversight. Yeah, while we oversight. Yeah, so we shouldn't just let them do whatever we want with our tools. We should guide them with our tools. Is the most important thing is oversight. Yes, oversight is I important. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, you're good. That oversight. Yeah, oversight is very important. And then the next part is, uh, I think, cooperation. I think the African Union needs to cooperate with each other a lot, a lot more, and and coordinate with each other a lot more because if they can help each other build these systems similarly to each other. It doesn't have to be the same, you know. And don't and they don't have to step on sovereignty. But if they they do it together and invest in each other as well. Um, that can create more openness yeah. for the people. And I want to go to the point where it says um, here about supporting investigative journalism in Africa. Mm. I think that's also very important um, to create openness and open society. I think the people of Africa, I mean, they I'm sure they're all aware of the corruption going on within their own government. But they should also be the voice for the world. They should be the ones having the resources they need to say to the world, look what's going on in my country, and point out facts, investigate, put out the investigation out there, and make it clear with the support of the United States and our private uh, private news sources, yeah. like our, our private sector news sources as well. We should, we should have that and promote that investigative journalism. Yes, we can send our probably our own um, journalists and whatever, but I think it's only fair that their own people can investigate and have the resources to investigate because yes they're they're down on the ground right now and they're saying well this is going on in our country this and that but the people should also have the ability to go deeper and use our resources to go deeper and to dig deeper in what is going on with their government and also put this out um onto the world as well so i think that was a really good thing that they added in this section yeah absolutely. um but yes um including constraints so there's also a thing where about uh uh, removing the ability to embezzle funds and then change constitutions illegally or steal elections. Change yes. constitutions illegally is a big one of the big problems in Africa as well. Is every leader that comes to power, they will always try to find a way to change their own rules so that they can have their own power. There should be some sort of like mechanism in place where the moment that this happens, the United States steps in and saying what are you doing you and your people have created this this cannot be changed mm -hmm. period but not yeah. too too direct 
and also not still have that oversight, if that makes sense. There needs to be a mechanism, a trigger mechanism, where if the constitution of an African country is changed, we step in immediately and protect whatever that they already have drafted. Um, so, yeah. And that's where um, the importance of checks and balances comes into the African systems. A lot of these African nations don't have very strong, I'm going to use Congress, House, um, that's stronger than the president. A lot of the times, and in many cases, the president has too many powers. Because in, in our in our constitution, for example, and, and we don't have to base it off that, but in our constitution, for example, you know, the president is not allowed to touch it. He's only allowed to, he's, his sole job is to serve and protect it. And the Supreme Court is to is the one who oversees it, makes sure everyone follows the law and interprets it. And then um, Congress has the ability to add and change, but there's two houses that these changes and additions have to go through. So it creates checks and balances even within itself. So that's another, that's a big problem or a big uh, step that they governments need to take. And the other thing um, you were talking about journalism, another big step that can happen to foster openness is privatization. Yes. In, in many sectors. Yeah. Um, the energy needs to be privatized in a lot of sectors. And I would also say journalism needs to be privatized. And that would be very, very important because privatization, yes, capitalism can, you know, change how this, you know, people can get their news because it costs money. But privatization in our world of news has called out the government so many times. I mean, Nixon is a case. You know, Donald Trump served cases. Hunter Biden has cases. Obama, you could go back all the way to Roosevelt's. Um, Kennedy, all these cases is because of private German journalism was able to find. And yeah, it has them. to be like paid either. It could just be, it could be unpaid as well. Can be, it's but still it's privatized. Up, it's up, it's up to it's the still, business. Yeah, you know? it's up to the business, of course. And yeah, I do, I do agree with that. And all we're saying kind of ties in well. If you have nothing else to say for that section, yeah, we do want to just yeah deliver democratic and security dividends. So under this one, the United States' goal is to support African democracies by backing civil societies, activists, uh, workers, leaders, empowering marginalized groups. Um, the United States also wants to focus its diplomatic efforts um, and develop its uh, and leverage its developmental programs to strengthen and enable regional partners um, to respond to uh, conflicts in the region to protect democracy. Um, this kind of ties in hand in hand with the openness one because they want to create inclusion programs and they're going to do this by, they say here, summits and other initiatives that I, I, I don't understand. I just don't. It's so I'm, open. It's so open and I don't believe in summits anymore. I can, I do not want to see another summit where all these African leaders Come together and sit with the United States and say we're going to be democratic, and that's it. And then walk away, and then walk away, and then do the exact opposite of everything they said in the summit. Yeah, uh, there's no more summits. Summits are off the table. There needs to be a one by one approach with every African leader and saying, Absolutely. okay, how are we going to do this? What What are your thoughts? And engage in one on one. Yes, there's a lot of African countries, and it'll take time, but that's why we have United States diplomats. Exactly. That's why we have ambassadors. To do this kind of work, that's why they're there. Yeah, and and, and this this is a big case to show 
economic reasons um, on how to deliver democratic and security dividends. Because if we can prove to the people that we can invest in their resources and that there is promise in Africa for energy, for manufacturing, um, oil, minerals, and we can prove to their people, they will automatically and, and even force government. I'm not going to say automatically, but they will. It can be a, a driving force to course and force government to change and rectify itself with oversight, of course, because we can't just be giving them billions of dollars to authoritarian regimes that might steal the money. But this is this is where the UN becomes very, very helpful in and and also the United States and Europe in investing in all of their sectors to build their sectors up. Because you could start getting a working class in Africa, you're automatically going to have a very strong democratic voting base. Every country that has a working class has a strong, strong, I'm not going to say anti-government, but a strong push on the government to make sure that they're protected. Right. And so that'll be very important. And one of the biggest things I see here in civil society and empowering marginalized groups, centering voices around women and youth. Yes. Rwanda is the best example of where women and youth are important in government. 53% of their parliament are women. And Rwanda went from 1994 to one of the worst genocides ever to prospering. I'm not going to say prospering, but a, a, high, a very fast developing nation. Yeah. Very fast. And that's so, so important. Because it shows what women in the youth can do. Okay. And I'm a strong advocate for youth mm-hmm. in government. Absolutely. The youth have such... Don't get me wrong, of course. Men, women, and youth all be inclusive. Yeah. But like youth, regardless of... Gender and whatever. Gender or whatever. The youth in general are very important for reform. The youth are bright. The youth have new ideas. We need more youth engagement, regardless if you're a young man, a young woman. We need more children in there. Of of course, like young adults that have studied and understand because they have seen what their parents had to go through. They don't want to do that. Their voices are the most important. More women inclusion, very important. Having diverse government is important because you get to hit all certain aspects required for the creation of a proper democratic society. And I love the Rwandan example yeah. about the women and youth. And in the Rwanda. United Nations can be very important in playing or in facilitating this role by working with individual nations or the African Union to create programs for these countries to get youth involved, to get women involved in politics and one of, one of the biggest things in the united states that we have a problem with is youth engagement in politics yes. i love the protest here great thing and it's good engagement but there needs to be more where more students are going to um government college for government jobs you know we're not doing that right now and there's no incentive there's no incentive i mean yeah there's no incentive and there is grow there, there's growing incentive but it's not marketed well because government jobs pay nowadays very well, pay very well, and pay benefits. Yeah. So that is where, in terms of Africa, they need to really put. They do, and they're incentivized well. And I agree that they're not marketed well, but the positions are still dominated by people who have been in government for a long too time. long. Yeah. So there's also that problem as well, and we cannot have this kind of repeat 
thing in Africa as well, where yes. you have one person in there for so long. So we also need to look at term limits as well for all different kinds of positions in government. Yes. And having this youth be able to then actively participate is only fair because I'm I'm sick and tired of seeing 70, 80-year-old people in our government that have no idea about anything modern nowadays. They they should not be they, they are stuck in I have a lot to say about this in the US uh, aspect, but we'll go back to Africa. But like the, in the US perspective, 70, 80 year old people should not be in, in office. Mm-hmm. They're stuck in their Cold War mentality. They, they don't bring any other innovation based ideas. I mean, like this. So I, I we need more youth engagement here in the United States and also have that as a model to African countries as well. Like, look, in the United States, we have our youth and our women here. You can do the same here because they are a very important part of this process. So we also need to do here to serve as a model for Africa. Yes. And um, again, I think one of the things that we need to do that, that China does very well is kind of not ignore, but it, it, ignore what their already established institutions are, become economic friends with them, and then coach them quote-unquote, coach them on how to build these governments. Don't hands-on make them. Coach them. And so we, we need to start off by ignoring that some of them are authoritarian. Economically incentivize them. Let the people do their jobs in growing their economy and forcing government, and then we can coach them how to change. Yep. But Show I, them the benefits first. Yep. And if they change, then... They'll change. Yeah. And they'll most likely change on their own. I mean, in, in, in so many cases, when countries develop... They just become democratic anyway. I mean, you can look at regions in Europe, um, Czechoslovakia, Poland, the Balkan regions, whom were authoritarian ran, who are now turning democratic. Asia, authoritarian ran, ASEAN, democratic because they're becoming rich, they're wealthy. They understand the benefits of capitalism and um, free, free democracy, republicanism, and so yeah. democracies because they're not really democracies, but yes. Yeah. Republicanism. Um, then the last one I really want to talk about here because this could arguably be the worst problem in Africa: terrorism. Yes, it is around the Horn in northern Africa and in West Northern Africa. I mean, how many groups do you have there? Hamas. Um, what's the other group called? Um, Oh, wow. um, in Somalia? Yeah, in Somalia. Oh, oh. I'm just going to look it up. But yeah, I do I do agree. Counterterrorism efforts in Africa are very important, especially now in Sudan. Um, even, I don't want to, hmm. Counterterrorism efforts in Sudan. I'm not saying that the RSF and the Sudanese military are terrorists, but we can use kind of the the diplomatic and military um, facilities and resources to mitigate conflict in general, not just looking at counterterrorism efforts, but conflicts in general. There's a bunch of rebel groups. There are, yes, terrorist groups as well, and we need to use it to reduce threats from all sides. Here in the document, it, it highlights using the counterterrorism resources to target um, terrorist groups that are a threat to U.S. homeland um, and national security. But I think this document needs to go farther beyond and work with African partners 
not just to look more U.S., but to look more African. Use our resources to protect Africa, and in return, they will gladly work with us. Because what China is doing is they're not doing this. They're going in. They're like, we're going to build a bunch of infrastructure, and that's it. Yeah. We don't care about your military. Uh, we don't care about your conflicts. If we can do both, then we would be a very fantastic, um, how do I say this, seller to to Africa. Yeah, and, and so did you find it? Yeah, I'm trying to find Al Shabaab. Al Shabaab is one of them. Hamas, Qaeda, ISIS. There's, there's a lot. There's so many. There's so many pockets. And one of the and, and there are we do have military bases in Ethiopia. Um, and I know that virtually the African Union is working to stop jihadists and Islam extremism within, uh, excuse me, and within Africa. But I, I believe there needs to be a bigger role from the United States and Europe to help stop and cut terrorist networks. Because I'm not, a, I don't think it's going to happen where they're going to come to the United States. I don't like how it says that in the document to stop them from coming to the homeland of the U.S. Yeah, it's like, not happening. Give me a break. That's just, yeah. But it is a big problem. I mean, it's a lot of the insecurity needs. It's it's why authoritarian governments come in. We're going to stop terrorism, you know, and prevent it. There needs to be more military action and coordination. Um, United Nations needs to help out in, in, in that regard, too, because terrorism is it's one of the last places in the world where terrorism is still a big threat. Um, So big that it's, I mean, pirates in the horn are... Pirates the in the horn... horn. Pirates in coastal West Africa. Yeah. Huge problem. And it says here under this section that it says that the United States is looking to invest in local led prevention and peace building efforts to mitigate and address vulnerabilities, leveraging the bipartisan Global Fragility Act in coastal West Africa and in Mozambique. So, yes, they, they are seeing the problem that we're talking about. It's the piracy and um, the, the threats to international shipping through going from coastal West Africa. Piracy in the Horn was major in 2012 and 2013, and it's it's like all the pirates have shifted from um, the Horn of Africa to now coastal West Africa. Um, we don't hear about it a lot because piracy is not that much of a problem, but there are still pirates in the region, and there are still attacks on international shipping routes. So yes, and we also need that that security. So for for Africa and for the international community as well. So yeah, and our special forces know exactly how to you know stop these groups. We have the best special forces in the world, and along with the United Kingdom, France, and Germany, we can definitely create and work with these local um, partners in Africa to cut heads off the snakes and take down these networks. So that would be very important to the growth of Africa is to get rid yep. of terrorism. And I'll, just a final part for this section before we go on is that they are looking to uh, information share with terrorists and their support networks with African countries. So sharing intelligence. Yeah. I think that'd be great as well with um, with people who we can trust, of course. We don't want to sell out our information to every single group that we um, support. We just have to be careful who we choose as partners and who we call um, friends. So I think, yes, uh, intelligence sharing and information sharing is also important to stop... Um, armed conflicts in yeah. africa and i i do i do like this uh this part in this section but yeah do you have anything else on anything on dem democracy building security dividends or foster openness if not we can go into yeah. the more economic side of things that this document has. yeah let's talk about the pandemic recovery economic opportunity like okay three 
So this is point three of the document. And to summarize these points, it's saying that the United States wants to prioritize policy programs and strengthen existing partnerships to um, to end COVID-19 and enhance health security. I think that's, that's, that part's a little bit outdated because it was in 2022. Yeah. Um. So... We'll, we'll discuss like a little bit in in that part about yeah. COVID-19 and overall enhanced health security. I would say Enhancing health security is still important. relevant. Yeah, that's It's important. still very relevant in Africa. But um, COVID-19, not so much now. What I really liked about this section is that it talks about that the United States wants to uh, work with African countries to promote stronger growth and trajectory uh, debt sustainability. I, I think that's just a target. That's a target to China. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then include um, uh, include leveraging multilateral uh, institutions, global partners, international initiatives, et cetera, et cetera, for economic uh, growth in the region. So I I love this part. This is that, that was my favorite bullet point out of all of this. Yeah. So so important to invest in Africa, not just because of the economic. Gains. We have been preaching this. Yes. Yeah. We forever. Have been screaming this. Yeah. Because it there there's so much cobalt. Right? It's in your computers. Every single computer has cobalt. Diamonds. They're just rare and and worth a lot. Oil. So much oil in, in Africa. Um. I really like the fact that we need to promote um to, to prevent debt. Um. Again, that that you're right. That is a shot at at one bell one road. Um, and I, I really believe the United States should create its own initiative to, for trade routes. Why, why is it that China is the one creating these international agreements to help build trade routes? And the biggest, the largest econo- economy in the world, the biggest, the second biggest democracy, is not. You wonder, you wonder why so many countries accepted the deal in the first place because. It was the, it was for a one of a kind thing, and the United States wasn't doing it. Right, and it was, it's so silly. We were focusing a lot on military things at the time, but we, we now we should be doing it to create more friends. We are all an initiative. I don't know what we'd call it. I mean, they they call it here uh, through the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment (PGII), which is the G seven commitment um, to mobilize six hundred billion dollars, uh, and then use that money. To invest in projects in Africa, which, which their goal, their end goal will be to strengthen their economies, diversify supply chains, and advance U.S. and African national security. So, I guess they they technically have a name for it. So but, it's the PGII, yeah. and they're they and along with the United States and other G7 partners have gathered, collected this money, and they said that we're going to power Africa, we're going to feed Africa, and digitally transform them. You're telling me the G7 can only come up with $600 billion? Give me <laughs> They should be coming up with at least a trillion to invest in Africa. I mean, the United States alone can front that money. But that is true. Add in, add in Germany and the United Kingdom and all of them. Like, give me a break. They could can, they can definitely, <laughs> can definitely cut more. But it's a good start, I will say. It's a good start. And there might be people out there, well, I don't want to use my tax money. For- <sighs> Here's the thing. Yes, there are people around the world that will agree that your tax money will go to this. But it'll make everything that you own much cheaper. Now, because we ha- we'll have the resources, we'll have the supply chain, 
You, this I can agree with. Okay, like I personally like I don't like paying taxes. Nobody I, likes paying. Taxes. Nobody <laughs> likes paying taxes. But if if it makes like things to buy cheaper, because now you're paying inflated items with tax, we could reduce. And this can reduce inflation. Tariff-free this trade will, deals. Yeah, free trade deals. Power, energy, energy initiatives, food initiatives. This is all what the world needs. Yes. Because this is everything we need. This is an investment. This is a return on investment. A guaranteed one if we do it correctly and we actually live up to our promises. Yeah. A lot so, of people like to look at the, the now versus the future. One of the biggest things in, in the United States is that like, oh, we got to raise taxes now because we don't have enough money. It's like, mm, why don't we lower them for now, hit the brunt, and then later take, uh, and this is all theory, but take gains. This is a, this is one place where we'll have to take a run. We will. It sucks. Yeah. Whatever. But ten years from now, when your laptop is not a thousand dollars and you're spending five hundred dollars for a brand new Mac because they got cheap cobalt in a free trade and cheap semiconductor or not semiconductors chips from Taiwan. Ugh, voila. Now everything's great, right? Yeah. So, you know, you get all sucked for now, but the, the, the thing about investing in these countries that need to be built up, that also creating free trade throughout the world, um, goes back to the free and open in societies. The first point is the, you'll, you'll see the benefits down the line if you continue this, and everything will be much, much cheaper. Um, partnering with African countries, the last point to rebuild human capital and food systems is a very important part to sustaining Africa because human capital is going to be the reason why they're manufacturing jobs stay, which is the third point, mostly manufacturing of vaccines, but they need to have manufacturing jobs as it builds economies in general. But the human capital can also invest in financial services and invest in their own food. And so then that'll create a whole domino effect of building their country. Right. And I do want to go back to um, how the United States and G7 partners are going to do this. So yes, they they mobilize 600 billion, but I do want to see a balance sheet. Yes. I want yes. to see a, a balance sheet PDF on the internet for me to read. I want to see how they're doing it. There should be tax advantages for any private sector business around the world who is engaged in everything that they're saying here, whether it be through finding ways to um, digitally transform Africa to mine, um, things that uh, that are necessary, like cobalt, lithium, yep. the oil, everything. I want to see tax advantages. There should be there should be this ability to to take the risk and to be rewarded for taking a risk in investing. We're not saying to raise taxes to fund all these initiatives. We're saying that if you lower the taxes to allow people to do this thing and subsidize them, of course, then you could use some of the six hundred billion to. For people who yeah. don't want to quote unquote pay taxes and don't want to pay more taxes to fund stuff like this, yeah, I think it's only fair that like I definitely want to get involved, yeah. and I also want to be involved. I want to make like I want to, I want to be a part of this. I want to make money. I want to invest. I want to develop Africa. But the biggest problem is access as well. Yeah. So absolutely. access to getting this type of to to be a part of this type of stuff is major because you need to have already like a set established. Like manufacturing business, for example, mm -hmm. like a billion dollar, like 
business. And this goes back to our own episode about the game theory episode and yeah. the lack of competition in, in market. Is that like the average person like me and you might not be a part of this because we don't have money to be a part of to be a part of this. Yeah. Like yes, I can go out right now and make my own capital, but that'll take too t- too much time and I already want to be a part of it. Yeah. It's like I'm I already have that entrepreneurial drive to invest in Africa, but the access to do that is not fair. So I do want to see some of the 600 billion to be to go through things like access subsidies and tax advantages. Yeah, and that's where they need to look at the Dubai model and yeah. allow these businesses, African-made businesses, to pay zero dollars in tax. Yeah. Not, not a little bit. Like, outside countries should pay a little bit. But African-made businesses should pay zero dollars in taxes to develop so that everything they have is hindered on whether or not the business is successful. And that will drive innovation and industry in large major cities in like Nigeria and Kenya and Angola. And that will create the human capital needed and our financial services needed through an African kind of based thing. Because it's one thing that we send to Amazon and Google and whatever to go in there. We don't want them to be the dominant ones there in that country. We want African made things to be dominant so that people already can be involved in the African system and then let the countries or the other companies come in from the outside and have an American or a European or a, a Asian little, you know, diversity into it to sustain the market because it can't just be African based. Absolutely. But it's a start. It's where it needs to start. Yes. I, I strongly agree on that. And then to cap off um, the this one, right? They're talking about um, education because most importantly, to engage in the entrepreneurial pathway, you do need education. And here it says in the document that they want to help children, particularly girls, return to school and prepare the African youth to gain the skills they need uh, to participate in a 21st century economy. I I love this. This is this is fantastic. The youth, youth girls, youth boys, they should have this ability to go back into school, learn what they need to, and have the proper skills. Because I, the, I don't want to see the youth being exploited yeah, for, for cheap labor. Yeah, I do not want to see. That. I want them to be leaders. Mm-hmm. The same way, going back to the Dubai model, way where they're incentivizing women to open businesses, and most so crucial, it's most of um, uh, UAE businesses, tech businesses are headed by women, and the, look where they're at. They're doing fantastic. Yep. Why can't we should have this in Africa as well? Yeah, combine these models, combine both the U.S. model, the European model, the Arabian model, like the like countries like the UAE, Qatar, Saudi Arabia. Push for Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure how they are doing with uh, women engagement. Yeah, but, know, but like the UAE, I, it's fantastic. And yeah, everyone should have this ability. And each country in Africa should. Look, federalize an education system, and fo- I, I don't even want to focus on university because what's going to happen is that you're going, they're going to have to start the manufacturing economy, and, and we cannot have, like we do in the United States, stupid requirements <laughs> for people in colleges to have a college degree to do jobs. You just don't need a college degree. You don't need you to have learn. a college degree. You just learn. 
And so we, but they do need to focus on primary and secondary education. Build them up. Like, just, just, just do it. And, and federalize an education system um, with the help if you need it um, to teach your people. Have them literate. A literate society is a good society. A political participated society is a good society. A free press is a good society. And so this is where they need to just start building primary and secondary education facilities. And this yes. is where the UN could come in and say, we're going to do this. You know, We're going to incentivize you guys to build this. The United States is going to come in and say, we can give you donations and grants to do this. Build these schools, and and that'll be the the first important step. Screw universities. I don't even want to see an African college until these primary and secondary schools are good. Yes, perfect for no, not perfect, but you know, good enough to educate their their society. Yep, that's a good point. Um, do you have anything else to add on the um economic opportunity one? No. But I want to go. I really want to go to the next one because this is where I have this is where I have the biggest beef with the White House. Support conservation, climate adaptation, and just energy transitions. I love the second, the last point. Just energy. Okay, I'm going to say that. I don't like the transition part. I say I like the just energy. Okay. Climate. Look, I'm, I, don't, I don't understand why we're trying to force climate change. And not... Okay, this is a real thing. I'm saying that. But why are we trying to force... Climate-friendly energy sources that are going to cost these countries a fortune when they're not developed. Yep. Don't screw them over right now. And let them have oil. Let them have natural gas. Let them build a stable economy. And then we can start focusing on... The only thing they should do is be putting up solar. That's it. Because... It's sunny 270 days out of the year. <laughs> you can put, they said that you can put like 10 square miles of solar panels in the middle of Sub Saharan and power the entire country. Let's do that. Like, that's fine. But don't be forcing these stupid wind farms on them. Don't be forcing these biomass and hydro things. They have no rivers in Africa. This shouldn't be an experiment, <laughs> is what you're saying. No, yeah, there shouldn't be an experiment. Because I think what this document is trying to say is that we should help them meet their energy needs in a climate-friendly way when the rest of the world developed on oil. That's not fair to them. Yeah. It's not fair. That's how how is it where we don't even have the amount we need and every the, the renewable stuff is there. It's just unbelievably expensive. So it's like, yeah. are we going to use the resources we help them get to rebuild and sell them to the domestic market of Africa? Or are we taking the resources, building it back in the United States, and then selling it for a price? So I don't know. I don't know what they mean by this. It's a good idea. I like it, and it's a good way to address climate and energy. You're killing two birds with one stone here, but I'm not sure if this is a African private sector investment or is this something that the United States wants to do. Oh, it absolutely. Is. I, well, it's something the United States wants to do, but I'm not sure. How it's going to to work is what I'm. My, my thing is, if the United States and Europe and China can't do it, don't force it on anybody else. Uh, yep. Because if we cannot put the infrastructure in to have climate friendly um, energy in our country, what makes you think Africa can do it? Like, let them develop first. Let them burn fossil fuels and develop their country first. It's not fair to them because. Right, we were the ones that screwed them over. 
<laughs> Europe screwed Africa Let over. them follow their own, their own plans. Let them do it. Because it is crucial that they develop manufacturing and an energy economy because they have the capability, they have the people to fill the manufacturing jobs and the natural resources fill the energy. Just leave them be and the hat. Well, I don't. And you want to help them not cut down trees? Okay. Sure. You want to help them protect animals? Okay. I'm with you there. But don't be coming in there and saying, we're going to add a hydro plant in your river. No. Leave them alone. Let them use oil. Let them use oil. Like, we're going to build nuclear energy. Where are you going to put it? What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to put the capital? For Africa to sustainably run that nuclear power plant, leave them alone. Invest in their oil fields. That's great because then they can run it. They have a, they already have the land, so that means they have capital and passive income coming into them as well as the oil going into their system. I mean, that's not to say that we can't help them. If there's a well, manufacturer, yeah, I'm not saying that. If there's a manufacturer that actively wants to create it for themselves, I strongly believe that we should help them invest. Let them do it. But let exactly, we're letting them do it and we're letting them decide on how they're going to do it. Yeah. Yes, the world is trying to move away from oil and we're not saying that absolutely. Stupidly. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll get on that later. We'll get on that later. <laughs> but if they want to use oil for the time being, yes, they can because it's only fair for them because they need some sort of like direct way to get started. They want to use the money they make from oil, from selling oil and using oil to power their electric grid to fund green energy initiatives. That's totally fine. They just need something to get started with. And they can't just go to the end goal immediately without even having a starting goal or having somewhere to start. I'm reading on here that it says at the last point, it says, lastly, the United States will continue to pursue Sorry, public-private partnerships to, to sustainably develop and secure the critical materials that will supply green, clean energy technologies needed to facilitate the global energy transition. So important. That's public-private partnerships. This is one of the. We need to do that more in the U.S. Too. We need to do this more globally, yeah. everywhere. And I, this is this is fantastic because now you're encouraging that the private sector of anywhere around the world can work with the public sector. And say, like, we want to help you here. Or let's, let's, through collective bargaining, I strongly believe in collective bargaining agreements. Let them decide with some oversight, not full oversight. We can't favor or choose which side. Case. But through collective bargaining agreements, let them decide how they're going to manufacture these clean energy technologies. Do they want to sell it out into the domestic, their own African domestic markets? If they can, and if both sides are profiting off of it, let them. If they want to make these products, sell them out, use the money to then reinvest again to build more, again, let them. To get the stuff, you need you need miners, you need manufacturers, and you need chippers. Engineers. Engineers. Oh, you need everything. That That's actually a good point. I, I didn't even, I just thought about that when you said that. What we should um, incentivize to African nations is to, um, you know, give them grants to come to the United States if they please to learn, you know, engineering or biochemistry and bring the youth here. Yeah, financial services and have them come back to Africa and use that to create their own. If we incentivize them to be educated in the United States, not only is that good for our institutions, but they'll go back and develop their own institutions. Yes. Or excuse me, which whether that is through financial services or 
engineering companies, military, uh, or their own universities. And so that that could be a good way to bring in a lot of people and send them grants to come to this country, study abroad, have them study in events to study abroad, two, three years, four years, whatever it takes for them to learn. And that, that could be important. But the public private partnership, go back to that. It's just, you see in the United States, Raytheon technologies and um, Lockheed Martin work directly with the United States military innovations, Amazon or not Amazon, Google and Microsoft work with all government leaders and instantly makes our government more favorable and stronger if we work together you know government does their thing you guys create um, the systems for us yes and, and everyone wins so that'll be an important part for africa is to let the private companies do their thing but to you know partner with the public sector have the public sector be the guys overseeing everything and let them create let them do it. Yeah. On their own. Yeah. So, in conclusion, <laughs> we've banged out four of the main points of this document, and we have discussed what we think should be good and shouldn't be done. The United States has spent too much time uh, militarily in Africa and looking at like things like counterterrorism approaches and not so much developing Africa. They have been looking more towards health issues, like the Ebola outbreak, HIV/AIDS. We've been active in that. We've been active in knocking out um, terrorist groups, but we, we're in a new era now in U.S.-African relations, and I think this might be the beginning of something new. Are we going to see it anytime soon? Probably not, because the United States is tied up in Ukraine with, and with Ukraine and Taiwan. But that's not to say that we may or may not have the resources, the human capital. We have our diplomats, we have our ambassadors, we have our international team to do things like this. So we might be in a new new era of African US African partnerships. And I'm all for it. I want is I want to see headlines about this every day of what we're doing in Africa, what's going on. But this is this is what I want to see in the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. 10, 20 years from now, I want to be looking up on the news, things going on in Africa. Yeah. The world will be a much better place with a prosperous Africa. Yes. They will be. Absolutely. The economic advantages for everybody, no more poverty, the food advantages that we can spread to the world. I mean, there are, if we can figure out sustainable agriculture, which is actually was not on there. Sustainable agriculture in Africa who one mention of it. Not one mention in breed farm animals traits more food. We have so much open land. If we can figure out how to create these aqueduct systems and, and move water to create these fertile lands for crops, for animals, it could expand our food options because then there's so much land to put these cattle to put these chickens on there to mass produce them and, and i hate saying that because you know we have to and genetically create them in a lot of cases yeah. but that's okay because we're feeding people so our honest. population is going up we're at 8 billion we're gonna keep going up and the, the largest countries in the world china and the um and india have 1.4 billion people and so how the heck are we going to feed them? Africa is a staging ground. This is Latin America is as well. 
is another place. Um, but Africa is dry, and because of climate change. So we need to figure out how to sustainably desalinize salt water or get water from the earth to create um, sustainable agriculture. And I, I, I just realized that. I don't like how that's not in that document. That is an important There's part to Africa. There's actually mention of the word agriculture in here. Not, like agribusiness. So sad. I that think, is so sad. I mean, yeah, this this document definitely That's an incredible important The BGII is looking to invest in things like agribusiness, but nothing on sustainable agriculture. Yeah. I, they, not they, one mention. That needs to be an important part in addressing Africa because that will, first, for starters, be able to feed them. Yes. And then later down the line, be a part in feeding the world. Be a huge network for yeah. the entire world. So, I mean, in general, I love the goals. Yeah. I, I, I love them. Like, I, uh, whatever you guys out there think about Biden, whether he's good or bad, I, I like this goal, and we, this was line, this yeah. was much needed. This was a much needed outline, and we need it. I hope now, in the next coming years of his administration, or whoever the next administration will be, that they continue on this, and then they continue to build on this outline because yep. it is important not only for the United States, but for Africa themselves because they have been behind on the global stage. Mm-hmm. They they've had so much inner conflicts, corruptions. And they also don't trust other countries because of history of colonialism and also current Chinese imperialism. Yeah, I'm going to say it. It is imperialism. It is. It literally is imperialism. They're coming in there. That trap diplomacy. Your infrastructure is crumbling. That's not a problem. Pay me. Yeah. This is what it is. They don't trust anyone. And we have we have literally thrown. We need to build trust with them. We do. And most is trust building, of course. And that should have been the first thing in the document. Trust building. Yes. That's is that even in there either. That's fostering openness. Technically, U.S. support for regions' equitable recovery is per, uh, prerequisite to regaining Africa's trust in U.S. global leadership. Okay, but that that, that needs to be expanded on. That needs to, There's only one mention of the word trust. It means. needs a bullet point. Yeah. I it, think it needs a whole section. Yeah. It, 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 there should be a fifth point. And that fifth point should be the first point, And then the rest for after is trust. rebuilding trust. Yeah. Because Africa trusts no one. They are afraid to trust people because they're constantly being taken advantage of. Yes, and exploited. It's awful. Yes, it is terrible. Yep. And we need to have a way where we can do collective bargaining agreements. Fair for us, fair for them. Yes. We need them. They need us. And we do not want to, like, essentially fuck over Africa again. Yeah. We, we can't have this anymore. No. It is not sustainable for themselves and not for the world either. So the next steps in this document is to use these outlines and 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 make policy and take action. Um, one of the biggest issues I have with almost every presidency and their foreign policy is that it is just goals, and that we never see them become policy. Yes, the whole thing is called foreign policy. There needs to be policy. There needs to be written laws, language, trade agreements. There needs to be language yes. in bills. Yes, things that are going to Start with a ship moving products or having diplomats being sent over to create relationships. There needs to be action. This is great. This document shows an outline, but it's just an outline. It needs there needs more action. And that once that action and steps start to be taken and the trust starts to be rebuilt, the opportunities are endless and Africa can become essentially than part of the new developing world. And it will be the, like, like, like I said, a prosperous Africa makes a prosperous world. Yes. So. You have anything else to add on this? This, no. was, a, this was a lengthy one. Wow. I, I can't lie. This was lengthy, but absolutely important. And 
Yeah. Africa is yeah, it's it's the next the next challenge the world's the West and the rest of the world faces to develop. Yep. So do you have anything else to add on that? I'm just going to... good, yeah. All right. So um, thank you for watching this lengthy uh, latest global... Latest global developments. Fantastic. <laughs> Topic of the week. Um, we hope to have explained this well to you and what the U.S. strategy is. And this is not a pretty, like, old document. This was, like, August, I believe. August Yes. Yeah, August eight. August 2022. So it's not old. It is a new strategy. And as we advocate always is to do your own research. That's what we preach here. Uh, at NGF is to do your own research to see where we're lacking and what we're not, what we're not lacking in and what we're lacking in. Yeah. Um, but most importantly, Africa is a major, major next stepping stone for um, international development. So, absolutely. Thank you for watching this uh, topic of the week. And uh, Wait, before before you end, okay. Um, First off, do your own research, please, and, and read this WhiteHouse.gov document. If you go to the top of the document, just, just so you know, okay. it says read full strategy here. And if you click on it, it has a full strategy of policy that was created February 5th of 2021. Oh, yeah. Discussed at the African Union Summit. So it that gives, started there. It, it started there. So it gives it a little bit more um, background knowledge of what why they want to do all these things. So, um, and then again, we, we, uh, please do your research. Um, and also, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Promote, promote this stuff because Africa deserves it. Hopefully the youth will, our generation will be the ones to kind of spur, uh, developmental efforts yes. to push for it, to, to be the ones, us as youth leaders to promote it and to push it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Take care, everybody. Thank you for watching, listening. Jeez. <laughs>